welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. We're going to talk about hats today. Hats are great. Hats are like the unsung hero of Knit World, I think. Why is that? Because they're fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I think they really are, though. I think that they're underappreciated. By lots of knitters, people think that their goal is a sweater or like some big, intricate, multicolor project or something. But hats have lots of potential. They're fun, they're portable, and they're great skill builders for new knitters. So today we're going to spend some time talking about different hat shapes and hats that we have loved and lost and all sorts of hat-related things. I always get to this point in the year where I'm mad at myself for not having knit like a bunch of hats because it gets so cold so fast. And they don't already exist. When you're knitting them, at least in my experience, I find myself kind of aggravated that they don't instantly exist on my needles. Right. I feel like I should have planned better throughout the year for this cold weather experience that I know is coming. Can we start you off with a little historical fun fact? It's not a big history episode, but I've got a tidbit for you. Let's do it. Are you aware that there is historical debate around the Venus of Willendorf? If you don't know who the Venus of Willendorf is, she is a tiny little stone figure, I believe. She's like four and a half inches tall. She's about 25,000 years old. And she's like the curvy little naked lady shape that you have maybe seen in history books or on history specials or you know a lot about because you're a history interested person. Anyway, she has a little head. It's got interesting texture on it. And I had always thought or learned that those were like braids. It was hair on her head. But there is debate. Some people think that she's actually wearing a hat. Oh, that's cool. Which might be like the earliest recorded human representation of a hat on something. Maybe it's knit. Maybe it's nail binding. It's not always warm in all of Austria. So I would totally believe that hats needed to exist. Mm -hmm. Fashion and function, even for our long ago ancestors. All right. So you in particular, hats disappear. Why? Why does that happen? I'm a bad hat person. I swear. Like, I need hats. I don't have huge, wild, keep my head warm hair. Like, I seriously (laughs) need hats. And I lose them every year. Every year. I remember there was one you knit more than once and lost more than once. Every single one. (laughs) It was a hat that the pattern's not even available online anymore. But it was really quick to knit. It was covered in cables. It was kind of slouchy. And it fit my funny little head in a way that made me like wearing it. Uh-huh. And I think I've knit maybe like four or five of these. They're all gone. None of them exist anymore. <laughs> I had one version of that hat that I found in my bed. It was what? Like a year after I thought it had disappeared. <laughs> It had somehow like fallen between the mattress and the headboard, but kind of was like pushed down into the bed frame. I don't know how it got there, but it reemerged for a couple of miraculous days and then it was gone again. It went to be with the universe. Mm -hmm. Also that same hat, well, not that same particular hat, but one of the versions of that hat I famously lost in a Chili's (laughs) when we went to go drink margaritas for lunch before shopping in a TJ Maxx. It just got left in a booth (laughs) and I was too embarrassed to go back for it. So (laughs) I hope someone found it and enjoyed it. 
I lost my hat last year. I generally knit myself like one a year and then they get stretched out by the end of the year. And then they're just kind of like, they're still around, but they're just kind of done. I knit myself the Ghost Ranch by Andrea Mowry, and I had had to knit it twice because I had really messed up the brioche in the fold over brim, and I was thinking it was a fold under brim. And so I was <laughs> like, oh, it's fine. It doesn't matter if it looks all funny. I'm just going to fold it under and sew it up. But no, that was the outside. And so I had to frog it and then re-knit it. And I wore that for a couple of months, and then it disappeared. And then you would knit it, and it just like kind of didn't work for your head. No. And so you gave it to me. <laughs> And then it got claimed by a child. So <laughs> hats are funny like that. They find who they're supposed to be with. I feel a little bit too like they're disposable. Yes. If I knit a sweater or I had a pair of hand knit socks and they disappeared, I would be upset. I would maybe spend some considerable time looking for them and kind of be a grouch about it. But when I lose my hand knit hats, I'm like, well, I guess I don't have a hat anymore. <laughs> Right, because they don't take the longest to make, but they are also very exterior and you're expecting to take them off and on when you're like out and around in the world. So things happen. Hats are also very particular for particular people. They're kind of like sock heels in that way. Mm -mm. You like what you like. You very much do not like what you do not like. Often it's not really a comfort issue. It's just an appearance issue. But people have a lot of feelings about what their face and head look like. And if the hat is the wrong shape, they're never going to wear it. I think that's my eternal struggle. <laughs> I knit hats and I'm like, oh no, this makes my funny little head look <laughs> funny and little. <laughs> I'm going for a different aesthetic than that. And that hat goes to the universe. Right. So let's talk about some names for hat shapes, because I find it overwhelming to look for hat patterns. Yeah, because I think a lot of the time when you're just like buying a hat, you're at Target and you're like, hey, I need a hat. It's just a hat. But then you go to Ravelry or whatever your pattern browsing place of choice is. And there are too many options and they're all really confusing. Yeah. I don't know what that hat I bought at Target is called style wise. But if I want to narrow down the 89,000 patterns for hat <laughs> on Ravelry, I've got to make some decisions. And I think having a handle on what hats are called is helpful and informative, perhaps, because I learned some things that I didn't know trying to figure this out. <laughs> so I would say the most hat-shaped hat, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> the hat hat, would be a beanie or a tuck, which is spelled T-O-Q-U-E. I'm going to go ahead and assume that that's French because that is largely what it's called in Canada. So I learned that's specifically what it's called in Canada. Other countries don't really call beanies tooks. I thought took was maybe somehow distinct from beanie. Nope. Essentially same hat. Oh, interesting. I've heard people in the store say that, but I guess we are really close to Canada. So some of the welcome signs to our little city are in French. So the French Canadians have influenced us, I think. But a beanie, if you're not really familiar with that term either, you've just had a winter hat on your head your whole life is a brimless hat, and it's snug-fitting. Sometimes they're ribbed, so they really hug your head. Sometimes it's just plain stockinette. But it's a snug little hat that hugs your head and generally is long enough that you can, like, fold up the bottom if you want some, like, extra warmth and insulation. I mentioned that hats tend to stretch out. I often knit hats with superwash because bad things happen to them, and you want to be <laughs> able to wash them. And so to get around that sort of stretching out problem, I will do folded under sewn in brims to like give it a little extra structure. 
So because there is usually ribbing or dense fabric in a beanie or a tuk, it's good stretchy fabric and it tends to generally actually keep your head really warm. You lose a lot of heat out of your head, so you need to have a warm head if you're living in cold places. This is not all just fashion, friends. <laughs> we were at a thing outside yesterday. Where we live, there was the big start of the holiday season outdoor event. And I was standing next to a woman who had one of those ponytail hats. And I was wondering, because I was very cold, whether her hair was enough to keep it warm in the part where she didn't have sheep hair helping her. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had long enough hair. I mean, not never, but since I learned to knit, have not had long enough hair to really have a ponytail that rates a ponytail hat. Interesting. I haven't either. So I have no idea if there is warm as a completely closed up hat is. Right. If y'all know, you can tell us. <laughs> we need ponytail hat feedback. So what about like a beret or a tam? It was also news to me that they're basically the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so berets... I think anyone who's ever seen a Looney Tunes cartoon, <laughs> you are familiar with this type of hat specifically. It's snug, where it is actually touching like your head, where it keeps on your head. But then the body is worked to twice the size of that. So it's big on top. And when you think of berets, you often think of people wearing them at like a jaunty little angle. It's very fashion Okay, wait, can we take a little sidebar about blocking hats for a minute? I would love to. So the first time I ever successfully knit myself a hat, I blocked it on a balloon. Uh-huh. I got like a small bowl and I blew up the balloon and I stuck the balloon into the bowl so it would stand up and not just like balloon bounce across the table. Sure. And then I blocked my hat onto the balloon. I don't think I like thought to make sure that the balloon was the same size or shape as my head. So I... <laughs> <laughs> But also, hats are kind of like socks that way. They're going to be more or less head-shaped unless they're very, very tight, like tight enough that they kind of have a point once mm -hmm. they leave your head. But tams or berets are in that category. So how do you block one of these? More surprising news for Jessica here. <laughs> I, I was interested to learn that some people block their berets or tams on a dinner plate. Wait, how? So you take your wet hat... Your uh -huh. damp hat. Damp, <laughs> right. not wet. Mm -hmm. Because then your fabric will just stretch wildly if it's like pouring water out of it. And you tuck a plate inside of it and then just kind of flatten it out. I didn't see specific instruction about hat opening up or down, but I would assume that would be up. And like the top of your hat would be down flat with the plate inside of it. Your hat would be on the table like a bowl. And you just lay it flat. But what that does is creates a disc shape. Like if you've seen berets or tams that seem like they have almost like an ironed edge. It's a very crisp looking round shape. Sure. It's because they were blocked over something that had structure, like a plate. I'm sure you could use maybe a Frisbee. I feel like a Frisbee is maybe a little bit. I mean, how big is your dinner plate? I don't know. <laughs> right. right. I'm having a really hard time imagining the size of plate. And or frisbee. Depends on your head, I guess. Yeah. And what kind of plates you have in your house. Maybe you went to the thrift store and you got a plate that was the perfect size. Don't and break it. And that's your blocking plate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't block your beret this way, though, it'll just be kind of like slouchy and less crisp in its shape. I feel like this might be a situation where you want to go with some non-superwash so it has a little bit more structure. Mm, that's probably a good idea. I mean, they don't like stick out like a mushroom around your head. 
It's not like somebody wearing like a mushroom hat or something. They're not like two feet <laughs> off, off your head. <laughs> but still, yeah. Hmm. Karen just pantomimed with like <laughs> wild horse eyes what she would look like if she was wearing a mushroom hat. <laughs> and I wish you all could have seen it. I'm sorry you missed it. Kind of like a beanie or a took, you can do almost any decorative element on a beret or a tam. Some have really beautiful, intricate color work on them. And I think that was how I was first introduced to tams as a hat. When I was new in the knitting world, I was reading a copy of Interweave Knits or something. And it was just like a whole bunch of tam patterns. And they were all, I don't know, six, nine, 12 colors. <laughs> and I was like, those are beautiful. And I don't think I would ever wear that, but I really want to knit it. And it was one of my first big investment knitting projects mm -hmm. where I got all of this, maybe it was like baby wool or something. It was like some fine jumper weight yarn for color work that my local shop had recently brought in. And I was like, I have never spent this much on knitting anything, but I'm going to knit this beautiful hat that looks like stained glass. And I started it and I ripped it out and I started it yeah. and I ripped it out. And at some point that yarn got like recycled into projects for baby things for other people. Like I never knit this hat because <laughs> I was so intimidated and overwhelmed by the color work and the construction. Yeah. But it was beautiful. I kind of think that if you are doing color work and it's one of the first times you've done color work, I'm just assuming that tams are sort of knit from the center out. I think this particular pattern was. That's a tough way to do color work because you're doing increases, like a lot of increases, starting at a really small circumference to begin with. Oh, yeah. I failed. I was not, <laughs> I was not up for the challenge at that point in my life. Now I think I could swing it, but then it was, it was not for me at that point. We're talking about tams and berets like they're interchangeable because kind of from a knitting standpoint, construction-wise, they almost are. But there's stylistic differences as far as what category any particular hat would fall into. So a tam, kind of distinct from a beret, often has a cute little woolly pom-pom right on top of it. And they're worn kind of square, like centered on your head. There's no slouchy off-to-the-side <laughs> business going on. It's a hat that's very centered. I wonder if this was a way of having a brim on a hat that would like keep your face from getting rained on before you could just go buy a baseball cap. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like a little portabrella. Port, <laughs> Is it a tambrella? It's a <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, why why centered on your head versus off to the side? And I was thinking about the difference between the climate of Scotland and France. That's a sound hypothesis. Let's speculate wildly. Also, we didn't talk about pom-poms. I've said this on the podcast before, but it's my favorite pom-pom thing, and we're going to talk about it. Let's do it. The reason pom-poms are on hats is because of sailors hitting their heads below decks on a ship. They would put a pom-pom on as a little impact absorber. <laughs> It's a safety hat. Yeah. And it's fashion. And fashion. But I just think that's a very innovative way to basically give yourself the hat equivalent of cat whiskers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how big is the opening? Will my shoulders fit? You get the, oh, I'm about to hit the ceiling and or it actually cushions you, depending on how, how intensely you're moving, I guess. It's boop. Just yeah. a little <laughs> tiny bonk on your head because you've got that protective layer of wool. 
Yeah, I like to visualize my immediate imagery that's conjured when I think of a tam is like a bagpipe player. Oh, sure. I envisioned some person in a kilt and amazing knee socks and a centered cute little hat with a pom-pom right on top (laughs) of their head. So I just said you couldn't make hats with bills on them. But what about hats with bills on them? Ah, so knit hats with bills on them takes me back to high school. I feel like it was a very particular aesthetic. Like maybe you wore Junko jeans with a wallet with a chain and you had a knit cap and it had a bill on it. <laughs> like I I was not one of these people, but like I knew people who played hacky sack. Sure. And had that aesthetic. There's a lot happening in this aesthetic, first of all. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. I'm not judging anyone's fashion here, but it was it was a particular look. Yeah. Or like if you can think back to Seventeen magazine or Sassy from that era in the 90s, I feel like those little knit caps with the little bills on them, the brims, were a fashion choice. And often that had to do with baby doll t-shirts and like stovepipe jeans for people. As a knitter, I have never looked at one of those hats and thought, that would be fun to knit. Sometimes I want the hat. But I look at it and think, oh, the process of that makes me feel anxiety in my soul. I think those hats are frequently selected to be knit by non-knitters. I would like you to make me a hat and I want it to be this hat. And it has some kind of like complicated, technically nightmarish construction. Well, because you have to take floppy yarn and make it stick out. Because if the brim is... (laughs) I'm waving my hands wildly. But if you knit a brim, particularly on the front of a hat, And then it isn't as rigid as it needs to be. Like, it's not a baseball cap with plastic, I would imagine, inside Mm -hmm. the brim of a baseball cap. It's just going to flop down like you're going to have a little mobile blindfold that you're wearing. (laughs) (laughs) So I can confirm that it is a little piece of plastic. They're called brim stiffeners. Mm -hmm. And you can get them in assorted sizes and shapes. And they're all like funky little curved crescent moons. But if you choose to use one, you have to like insert it into this little pocket of fabric that you have knit and then kind of seam it shut so it's not poking out into someone's forehead. Right. That makes sense. I think people also sometimes starch them. They do all sorts of interesting things to make build hats shaped. I can see that. Sometimes these are called caps. It's like a little newsboy cap. Oh, I learned that some people call them English driving hats. So I don't know, maybe if you like English crime dramas, kind of vintage retro ones, or like you watch Downton Abbey, look at the drivers. They're wearing these little newsy caps. That's what we're talking about. I don't think that it's like an overwhelmingly popular style. Like when you see new patterns, at least recently hat patterns that I see released in the last five years of thinking about knit hats every day of my life, (laughs) don't see a lot of them, but they're out there. So what about like a bonnet? Okay. I love bonnets. That's all I have to say about them. (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) You knit yourself one not too long. Well, I guess I don't know when you knit it, but you were wearing it up to a couple years ago. Has it gone? I think my bonnet is still in the house somewhere. Uh huh. (laughs) And it's hard to say, though. Yeah. And it may have been absorbed into the kid hat bin. Right. The kids' heads may have outgrown it. It may still fit me. That is possible. It's probable. (laughs) Yeah, I think bonnets are super cute, and I think that they're underappreciated. And I think that because people commonly associate them with babies, they feel like baby hats. 
But I think functionally, they're really nice for everyone. So bonnets kind of are shaped like a hoodie, like the hood on a hoodie sweatshirt, I think. Like if you cut that off of your sweatshirt and just popped it onto your head and like shrinkulated it so it fit your head (laughs) a little bit better. (laughs) That's the basic structure though, right? Sure. Yeah. They have little strings. Yeah. Sometimes. The strings are handy because let me tell you, the bonnet I knit for myself did not have strings. Oh, that was a mistake on my part. Well, because the way they're shaped, sometimes they'll have little like triangles that come down over the front of the ears. They're not necessarily triangles, but it's like a little angled Mm -hmm. piece at the bottom. And you can't really do like a tight fitting brim. No. So having strings to like tie that puppy on under your chin so you don't lose it (laughs) on a windy day. Or when you fall really fast or something, it doesn't fly (laughs) off of your head. That's handy. But I think they're great because they're super cozy. And my biggest problem as a cold weather person is my ears get cold. Yes. Especially if it's windy. My ears get cold and I'm done. If I can keep my ears covered, I can be outside kind of indefinitely. So bonnets are a nice way to be snuggly and cute. And if they have a sweet little point on them, all the more aesthetically twee. They're just (laughs) darling. Other kind of twee hats. The cloche. Uh huh. Cloche hats are kind of bell shaped. And I think you might associate them most closely with the flapper aesthetic, kind of 1920s Art Deco period. Cloches are funny bell hats. Mm-hmm. And there are so many patterns for them. And I infrequently, at least around here, see people wear them. It's not very often, but I feel like they're more fashion than function. That makes sense. If you like to go cross-country skiing or walk your dog for a long time, you might want a hardier hat than that. But they can be very pretty. Do cloches have brims on them? Cloches a lot of times have asymmetrical action going on around your face, and often it'll be folded up and even tacked to the hat, so it's like a permanent aesthetic feature. Right. Or there will be some sort of piece of ribbon involved, woven in through the fabric. I think they're for beauty more than warmth. So if you don't have anything that is actively keeping your hat on your head, like strings that you've tied under your chin or tighter ribbing that's mm-hmm. going to like hug, it does definitely feel like it's more fashion than because you have to like not let it fall off your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's because secretly Karen does a lot of like wild whipping around <laughs> her head. Her hat's just going to fly. Yeah, it's just kind of artfully placed there. Yeah. It's for your looks. So not ear flaps really like how a bonnet covers your ears, but what about a hat that has ear flaps on it? Yes. So when you're searching for hat patterns, you have a lot of range in the world of ear flaps because the ear flap hat is not distinctly a type of hat. I think it's a feature of a hat. Sure. But it is categorized, at least in Ravelry and some other pattern collection areas on the internet, like as its own thing. But the hats, to my eye, are all sorts of different shapes, and they feature ear flaps. It's not like a single thing. You can find ear flaps on beanies. Mm -hmm. You can find them on bonnets. You could categorize those as ear flaps, I think. I think the ear flap distinction is just that that hat specifically will cover your ears with additional fabric, not like your mush mouth from Fat Albert, where it comes down over your whole head. (laughs) Or like a balaclava where like your whole head is encased, like it's additional fabric for your sweet little ears. So in theory, you could take any beanie and just go back after the fact and pick up stitches and make ear flaps on them. 
Sure can. That's cool. You could even knit your ear flaps on their own and sew them onto your beanie. Store-bought or hand-knit. Oh, you know it doesn't exist and no one's ever going to make exist? But you know how the store-bought pom-poms, like faux fur pom-poms, have snaps on them so you can move them around to different hats? Uh Uh-huh. I want some kind of snap attachment between the hat and the ear flap so that when it's really cold, (laughs) but, you know, you could, like, move them around. I think that's your million-dollar knit world fashion (laughs) idea. You might be onto something. I think it's going to be really tough to make a million dollars selling six snaps. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? The snap-on pom-pom people have found a niche market. I think you actually have to make the ear flaps and not just sell the snaps. Right. That's fair. That's going to take too much time. I don't have time for that. (laughs) Somebody take this idea and do it. (laughs) Okay. I think the last hat shape that we thought about was pixie hats. Pixie hats are similar in my heart, at least, to bonnets in that they're super cute. But pixie hats are just pointy. Little kids look adorable in them. Adults look adorable in them. It just makes everyone look like you're one of the fae. (laughs) You're a sweet little fairy, a pixie, an elf who has come to be with your friends in the cold. Sometimes in your hat knitting life, Uh you may have found that you have knit a pixie hat and not meant to. (laughs) I was just thinking that's my main interaction with pixie hats is, oops, I decreased too fast. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times in hat patterns, there will be a specific number of plain knit rows in the decrease section. Those are there to keep you from being a pixie. Don't let the pattern writers be the boss of you. (laughs) Really, all it comes down to is decrease row, one or more rows of plain stockinette knitting, another decrease row. But if you just start decreasing really fast, your hat is going to close up really quickly. And you're going to get a cute little point on the top of your head. There was one other kind of hat that I decided not to spend too much time on, but now I'm going to bring it up anyways. Uh And that's stocking hats. And stocking hats are just long pixie hats. So that's an option. But I think it's mostly an option in like Hallmark movies and Dr. Seuss books. (laughs) (laughs) I never, we see so many hats, Mm -hmm. so many hats, whether they're the knitters or like All of the outdoor winter athletic people that are walking to the specialty shop down the walkway from ours, nobody's ever wearing a stocking cap. That's because nobody is ever a high-stress New York lawyer who just happens to be going back to his hometown to work at a Christmas tree farm. (laughs) And (laughs) And fall in love. And have some kind of meet-cute with the mail mix-up or something, you know? (laughs) That's who has the stocking hats, and they're not giving them to us. (laughs) No, that's fine. That's an okay thing. (laughs) All that is to say, there's so many hats out there. These are just some of the options. There are more obscure options that didn't really feel relevant to winter weather. And for us, we are squarely in winter weather. It came all at once and our heads are freezing. But there's hope because we could knit ourselves some hats if we got our act together. Yeah. So, Jessica, what's on your needles? A hat? It's actually true. I am knitting a hat and it's not for me. It's a gift. It's a hat that is like vexing me. And it's a me problem. Like, Uh I'm just going to be real with y'all. It's a me problem. So Jessica's at the point with this hat where she's ready to decrease. And what she's learned is that she cast on the wrong number of stitches way back at the beginning of the hat. Yeah, I learned that two decrease rounds into the crown 
And I was like, these are not lining up. I believe in this pattern designer. This whole hat is a one-by-one rib beanie. It's not rocket science. It's not overly complicated. This is a designer I know actually has test knitting and technical editing. (laughs) I feel like I maybe need to do some self-reflection here. There is no amount of test knitting that can save you from casting on halfway through a gin. (laughs) (laughs) After holiday retail season exhaustion, you're like, I'm going to go home and have a drink and knit a hat. And mm, right. (laughs) I should have known. So I picked back all of my decreases instead of just counting at my cast on edge, which I could have done. Right. But I was like, no, I'm going to pull all of this out because I just feel in my bones something is wrong. And I found two extra stitches. Mm-hmm. And there's a 0% chance I'm frogging this hat over two stitches. So no. I made a cute little decrease. I was like, I'm going to knit two or three more rows to just pretend that never happened and then start decreasing again. I'm kind of into it, like three or four decrease rounds into this hat. And I just don't like how they look. And they're not wrong. I just don't like them. So what did you do when you did kind of the two random decreases in the 1-1 rib? How did you preserve the 1-1 rib? Good question. Because I kind of bent my brain around that too. And I was like, what do I need to do? And then I said, wait, I'm just going to use the decrease that the designer is telling me to use in the hat, which is not slip, slip, knit, because that'll just decrease one, but it's slip, 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 knit. Oh. So you're decreasing two stitches, but it's preserving the ribbing. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I did that to hide my rude stitches that were on my needles and didn't (laughs) belong there. But now I'm just kind of looking at it and thinking, I don't really like it aesthetically. And I went back to the pattern and looked at all of the images in the pattern and nowhere in this pattern can you see the crown of the hat. And now I'm wondering if she just has funny looking decreases, to my eye anyways, but I can't tell. Oh, weird. Huh. I'm also a little concerned that maybe I am not thrilled with these because of the fiber content of the yarn that I'm using. Because it's not just wool. It has some cotton in it, too. So the stitch definition is a little bit different. Sure. And I think I'm just grouchy that I let plant fibers get into my knitting. (laughs) Don't be mean to the plants, Jessica. You know how I feel about plants, Karen. (laughs) We fight. (laughs) What's on your needles? I'm just kind of low-key rotating between two different sets of socks and my Deliciosa sweater. I have not had a ton of focus, and so I'm just kind of flipping them around and working on one randomly. And there's been some other stuff going on. The tapestry needles have returned. So I could finish that one. I still haven't, but I could. Mm -hmm. That'd be (laughs) exciting. Can we tell people that you got to talk to Nora Gon about your sweater? Oh, God. (laughs) Real brief Reader's Digest version of this interaction. (laughs) Right. So the kind of funny thing was that I had had two. So I was trying to decide what I was going to wear that morning. And I had decided against wearing my Barnhart. And then Nora Gon stopped in the store on her way sort of driving by. And I told her, like, oh, I almost wore one of your sweaters this morning. And she asked me which one. And I told her, you know, my Barnhart. And she was like, did you get really frustrated up at the top? I said, I did. I thought it was just me. And then since those floodgates were open, I a little bit may have complained to her about the... You shared. I shared. <laughs> I shared some frustration with the non-repeating chart on the Deliciosa sweater. And she said, right, it doesn't repeat. There's nothing to memorize. You just have to look at the chart. And I was like, okay. 
okay, well, at least at least I'm not missing a trick, right? At least it's designed to be this. But yeah, that was really neat. It was exciting to get to talk to her. I kind of randomly didn't have that sweater in the store that day, but it was probably good because I feel like if I'd shown it to her, she would have noticed the place where I messed up my cable and wasn't going to pick it back. So she never would have said a word. <laughs> never. Hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen? You ready for a letter? Mm-hmm. I am. Let's do it. This week's letter comes from Deanne. Hi, Deanne. I could use some help with blocking. I follow the instructions I've heard on this podcast and also seen demonstrated elsewhere, and my shapes and garments turn out just fine, but they literally take days and days to dry. I have a superwash merino fingering and mohair sweater blocking right now, and I'm on day four and it's still damp. Day four! I, of course, am excited about wearing it, but the bigger issue is the amount of flat surface real estate this process takes up. Real estate I don't have in my small condo. I would love to get some tips or hints or tricks for speeding up the drying process. That's a really good question, Deanne. And I think a super real concern for lots of knitters who want to be blocking their things. Like not all of us have endless protected space in our homes that are like free of foot traffic and dogs and cats and kids and whatever else is going on in your house. So we don't all have the luxury of having a dedicated blocking room. I think that one of the first things you can do to help speed up the blocking process is try and get as much moisture out of your hand knits as you can before you pin them down to the blocking mat. Depending on what you've knit, there can be a lot of water in that fiber, so you've really got to spend some time working on getting it out while still being gentle with your knit. You don't want to start like aggressively wringing them out like you would a hand towel or something. <laughs> because then you're going to be really sad at what you've done to your project. So lots of like pressing to get the really immediate huge volume of water out, but then make use of your towels. You might need to do a load of laundry after this, but use up your bath towels because they're designed to be really absorbent. So you're going to want to lay your project out, your sweater, your shawl, whatever you've got, and roll it up and then press it and squeeze that. Don't wring it, because that'll create more friction, but like stand on it if you need to. The couple of times in my life where I've not had access to a washing machine for like months at a time, and I was doing only sink laundry, we would use the towels, you roll them up so they're kind of a tube, and then walk back and forth on them like it's a balance beam. But it's like a no friction way of pressing the water out because everything's held steady by the towel. Yeah, and I would recommend doing that kind of on repeat. Saturate that first towel and then grab a second towel and repeat the process until your towel is kind of just feeling damp but not wet. Mm -hmm. Because that pressing out process, it's going to make your towel a lot more wet than you think it could possibly be. And then lay out your knits to block. Another thing you can do if you have access to this is to run a dehumidifier in the room where your knits are or a fan. Anything to get the air circulating and moving will help. And think about what you're pinning your project down to. If you don't have dedicated blocking mats, if you're pinning it to the carpet, maybe you don't want to do that because it's like creating a moisture barrier between these types of fibers. 
look for a surface, like some people will use cardboard if they don't have blocking mats, but just something that you can secure your knitwear onto that will allow for that evaporation that you need to have happening. In the store, we have the brand that makes it. It's called a panda dryer. It's just like a little spin dryer that runs for like five minutes. And there is a spout that the water comes out of because it's, you know, you just plug it in. It's not like attached to plumbing or anything. And so I usually put like a big mixing bowl under the spout. And I am always shocked at the four quarts of water that come out of a sweater. Like there's a lot of water in your sweater. There's just a lot in there. (laughs) Yeah, it's shocking every time, no matter how often you do it. If you don't have a panda dryer, but you do have a washing machine that has a spin cycle on it that you can just go to that setting, throw your knits in there and just spin out as much water as you can too. And it's that initial reduction of moisture that will help everything dry faster. Good luck, Deanne. I hope your sweater is fantastic. Should we do a knit-along check-in? Yes, because we are creeping along into December. It's like halfway into December at this point. What just came out of my mouth? Right. That's so fake. So a lot of you have kind of a surprising number of socks. Congratulations. (laughs) And new people keep joining the knit along like every couple of days. So there are brand new baby socks, just like a couple of stitches on your needles. And we're cheering for all of you. The knit along runs through December 31st. So you've still got a couple weeks left. You don't have to be finished with your sock to be considered for the prize but you do need to share your images so we can potentially choose you to win something. We had somebody reach out to us to say that she's been posting her pictures and hasn't really been getting any interaction. And she wanted to know if she had been doing something wrong. And we just want to remind everybody that if your Instagram account is private, even if you tag us, we can't see those pictures. We try really hard to comment and repost all of the pictures that we see. Sometimes there are a lot of people posting in the hashtag, So I would just say like as a community, if you are following the hashtag and you see that somebody has posted and that nobody has commented or we haven't shared it yet, comment. Cheer each other on. (laughs) That's the whole community part of this knit along. You're here to make friends and share socks in progress. (laughs) I think that might be it for us this week. I think you're right. You can subscribe to Make Good wherever you listen to podcasts. You maybe have already done that. If you haven't, you should. We love talking to you. (laughs) And while you're there subscribing, rate and review us because it helps other knitters find us. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. You can also follow along with the current knit along with hashtag MakeGoodSocks. Because your socks are good, y'all. A big heartfelt thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you. You help us keep doing this without advertising. Bleh. We really appreciate every single one of our Patreon subscribers. You can visit our website, which is makegoodpod.com. That's where you can do things like read the show notes or fill out our contact form to send us a dear scratch letter or leave us a voicemail. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Because we love to hear from you. And you can send us questions, dear scratch at scratchsupplyco.com, and we will try to answer them. Mm -hmm. We'll get to you. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.